Can games save the world? That's the question we are taking a look at on this episode of Board Game Faith. My name is Daniel. My name is Kevin Taylor. And we are joined today with our special guest. My name is Dave Bindewald. Thanks for having me. And you're going to get to know more about Dave uh, later on in the episode. But before we do that, if you have listened to pod, uh, to this podcast before, you know already that we like to begin this podcast on games, board games, and faith uh, with a game. And so we're going to start this episode with a game that uh, 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 we are calling The Boss Blitz. To let you know, uh, our dear listeners, we have the most awesome listeners in the world, um, the Boss Blitz is in honor of our special guest, Dave. Uh, Dave, you're going to find out more about. Uh, but one thing about him is that he is a huge Bruce Springsteen fan mm. who, if you know Bruce Springsteen, is a rock and roll artist. Or if you don't know him, he's a rock and roll artist. He is sometimes known as the boss. So that's why we're doing the boss uh, blitz. And here's how we're going to play the game. For three minutes, I'm going to time us, for three minutes, we are going to pretend that we are at a wedding reception. This is our improv uh, skit generator told us to do a wedding reception. And um, for, as we talk to each other at this wedding reception for three minutes, we're going to try to use as many titles of Bruce Springsteen songs as possible in those three minutes. We're all taking a look at a list of 156 Bruce Springsteen songs. If you would like to follow along at home, uh, you can pause this podcast, go to our Discord server, and in the channel for this episode, you can find the list of Bruce Springsteen songs that we are working on. When a Bruce Springsteen song title is successfully worked into the conversation, we are using sound effects for the very first time. You will hear the sound of a bell. I'm so excited. I got, I got, a, I got a bell here. But, but if somebody says the name of a song that's already been used before, uh, Kevin and Dave, I'm so excited. I'm going to get to use for the very first time the clown horn. So again, a bell for every successful use of a Bruce Springsteen song during these three minutes and a clown horn for a repeated song. At the end, we'll see how many of the 156 songs we have successfully worked into a conversation in three minutes. Kevin and Dave, does that sound okay? Love it. It does, but I'm a little worried that the creepy clown from Stephen King's It's going to show up because <laughs> of the horn. Uh, uh, you're right. I'm sorry. We'll, we'll try Pennywise. to redeem the clown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this will be a friendly clown. clown. We'll redeem, yeah, part we'll two. redeem the clown. Part two, the redemption. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, but, you know, we got to clap it on. So it's, how about, um, Kevin, you want to count us down on, on the, to clap on the game, and then I'll start the timer, and we'll be in a wedding reception. No, we, the game ends with the clap. Oh, okay. Okay. Right? All right. That's that sounds good. Do. Should should we yeah. work in that's the, when the bride at three minutes the bride's going to enter and we clap okay that sounds good that sounds good i like it all right the bride and groom because we're at the rehearsal wait we're at the rehearsal wait we're at the we're reception at, this is this is the reception the wedding reception got you all ready yeah you got ready. your list of of, of of bruce springsteen songs ready to go all right here we ready? go at the wedding reception starting now hey guys how you doing well, hello, sunshine. Well, it's not a song of Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> nope. All right, I'm going to lob one in, you guys, just to get us started here. Uh, where are you guys from? 
Well, I'm a local hero from around here. <laughs> Is that right? And uh, yeah. I was born in the USA. <laughs> Are you kidding? Me too. I'm actually uh, from just outside of Philadelphia. It's a uh, little place. Uh, it's kind of rural, but it's known, locals call it Darlington County. Oh. But, but my real, my hometown is Greensboro, Pens uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. This is fantastic. Um, um, Isn't that where uh, Rosalita's from? Greensboro? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, probably, yeah. But uh, is she, she's not a highway patrolman, is she? Because <laughs> I, I asked because... I, <laughs> I ask because of my time, my career before uh, being a wedding crasher is I, I worked on the highway. <laughs> this is really hard. <laughs> no, Rosalita, uh, I think but, she, she was the redheaded woman, wasn't she, who drew, drove the pink Cadillac? I've, ne I've yes. never met a redheaded woman named Rosalita. <laughs> oh, Although but she time, had the Cadillac. She, she has one of many used cars. Uh, used cars. Yeah, she didn't go by uh, a, an acronym or a, a kind of alias uh, Outlaw Pete. She didn't ever use that, did she? <laughs> no, I think I think Outlaw Pete was her fiance for a while there. She was right. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Rosalina and they met. And they met Pete. in Reno. They met in Reno. <laughs> but did you guys come here? Uh, yeah, it's good to be out west. You know, I came from the east, as I said, <laughs> and uh, I actually on the flight over, I flew over Nebraska. Oh yeah. And the Badlands, and uh, just before that, just before that, I was looking, and I could see the Mississippi River rising from the plain. I was you so afraid that it was going to rise and maybe even cover me. Yes, you were telling me, like, the plane, it felt for a moment like it was going to crash, and there you saw the power of prayer. <laughs> I just got really, I got, you're right. And um, thank you for remembering that story. You just never want to hear your pilot, though, over the PA. You never want to hear them say things like, all right, guys, remember the glory days, no <laughs> surrender. But, you know, it probably did give you some reason to believe. Oh, I, oh, I'm oh, kinda, look, look. I, oh. I, I think the bride's coming. Can there we, she is. Uh, there she is. Oh, my goodness. Everyone else you know. is clapping. Should we clap? I mean, I don't really like her. I'm not really. I'm not. I'm here. I'm part of the groom's You know, group, since, we were, since we got the invitation to eating all this free shrimp, we should probably clap. I'm allergic to shrimp. Here, here. Okay. Okay. All right. But I'll clap anyway. It's lo it clapping, looks good. All right. Clapping for One, the couple. One, two, two, three. three. Everybody three. clap. should have told me what I was supposed to do before. <laughs> oh, where's the fun in that? Sorry. No, you did it That's perfectly, it, yeah. Dave. Clapping is great. Oh, thank you. There, this is partly a reference to when we got started. What, one way of trying to synchronize different audio tracks, because there's always some drift, is to have people clap at the same time. And then when you're laying down the audio tracks and the, the 
audio editing software you can see kind of visually. So it's sort mm. of an old trick. And so it yeah. kind of became a game that we had to clap to start. I just love that. Kind of, love it. Just, and then the jokes about a clap-on technology, uh, which you probably remember the commercials for clap-on. I do. And I've and heard your like podcast that. before, and I was like, this yeah. is hilarious that they're clapping on the tech. Well done. <laughs> that's that's. Now it's not funny well, now that I've explained where it came from. No, no it's, it's, it's even funnier now. It's good. <laughs> I'm, of the, uh, I'm of the dad persuasion that explaining jokes make them infinitely <laughs> right, funnier. Right. Yeah, no. fascinating. So it's um, How, how's I, your arm I, now, Daniel? After all that ringing, it was hard to keep up with the ringing. I could tell. You all, I could tell. plus I never got to use the because uh, you guys are so good. But I'll, yeah. I'll try to work. What it was their score? You probably couldn't score yeah, us, could you? I know I did count it. It's we got 21, 21 song titles from one hundred and fifty six <laughs> in three minutes. That's not bad, Dave. I realized that we were going up against a professional with you. You were like you were swinging yeah. boss song titles left and right there. That was um, that oh, was it's really a good. problem. It's no. a problem that I embrace. No, it's, it's, that was, awesome. a, well, well done. <laughs> so 25 and 180 seconds, that's one per seven mm. seconds. That's pretty good. That is, that's yeah. pretty good. And we had to breathe. So yeah, there yeah. had to be pauses. We, we Yeah. So uh, for those of us who may be listening to the podcast for the first time, Board Game Faith, besides is, uh, starting off with silliness, is a podcast about the intersection of um, board games and religion and spirituality. And, um, and we like to explore uh, those issues from a variety of perspectives. Um, and as uh, you already heard, um, uh, we are joined today, as always, by the um, uh, remarkable Kevin Taylor, uh, uh, who is a fantastic host of this podcast. And I get to join him every week as well. My name is Daniel Hilty. Um, and we're also joined today... Uh, with a very special guest, uh, Dave Bindewald. And uh, Dave, we're so happy. We're just thrilled to have you here. We've been looking forward to you joining us. So we know you are a Bruce Springsteen fan already. Uh, can you tell us a little mm -hmm. bit more uh, just uh, about yourself, please? Oh, sure. Uh, I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania uh, with my wife and three daughters. Um, we have lived in Pittsburgh for about 25 years now, so it's home before that, I spent some time overseas, in Japan specifically, and before that, I was born in the South, in North Carolina. So right. I've lived a couple of places. Yeah, I think Kevin's in old Tar Heel State. Um, yeah, so I'm about I, an hour south of Greensboro. You said you're from Greensboro? Yeah. I was born in Greensboro, yeah. So I'm in Albemarle, if you've ever, mm -hmm. small yeah. town. All right. Very cool. And Daniel and I met at Wake Forest, so Daniel oh, has no lived way. in North Carolina as well. Yep, yep, yep. I, 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 yep. I, I, my, uh, I, I am married to Kristen, who is also from North Carolina. That's a lot of. Mm -hmm. It's a, a great place. Is it the? Uh, is it Wake Forest that are the Demon Deacons? It is indeed. We are the Demon Deacons. Let's yeah. talk about that sometime. That's a. <laughs> that, what a playful phrase that is. A Demon Baptist can have a sense of humor. And we had the Duke Blue Devils as well, which is kind of yeah. odd for a Methodist school. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. But true. don't explain it because it's not as funny. <laughs> We're just going to put Demon Deacons out there and leave it there. Yeah, that's right. The word blue etymologically is related to a Methodist who was wandering <laughs> down and there was, uh, had a dream about... <laughs> 
I love your uh, ex- expl- explanatory voice. Uh, yeah, that's Kevin. That's a friend really... and I like to come up with the worst lecturer voice and something like that. <laughs> yeah, cash. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's great. <laughs> Thank you. He's much better at it than me. <laughs> and so, and Dave, anyway. um, the um, I, I I also know that um, you um, um, spend your time there in Pittsburgh, in part as the as the founder and a director of the Center for Play and Exploration, which is a wonderful, fascinating organization. Could you tell us a little bit about that, please? Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, the Center for Play and Exploration uh, helps adults be more childlike and uh, more specifically uh, helps adults be more curious, uh, be better divergent thinkers, and be more free to fail. So those are our pillars at the center, curiosity, mm. divergent thinking, and freedom to fail. Mm. Uh, we mm. have found over and over and over and over again uh, that adults um, sort of struggle with those things professionally and personally. And the center was started by sort of an I- idea or dream or possibility of what the world might look like if adults in their work and in their relationships went about it with those skills more in place. And it's just been remarkable what we've seen uh, in the, in the first few years of the center. Hmm. uh, Can can I dig in a little? Tell me about the, the freedom to fail because that, I don't know what sort of play and games you're doing. Um, but it's, of course, games you kind of want to win. So how does that balance? I have some thoughts, yeah. but I want to hear what you think. How does yeah. that balance out? Or are there games yeah. that people don't win? Mm-hmm. So I think some of it, and I think we're going to talk about this more later in the episode, but uh, about what, what we mean at the center by play and what that uh, has to do with games explicitly and specifically. So we'll talk about that more. But I think the shortest way to answer your question that hopefully will lead to more questions is uh, it is often some form of shame or fear of failure or judgment or criticism that prevents creativity, curiosity, even newness, Mm -hmm. trying something uh, at work or in our lives. In other words, I have this idea that I want to try or find out more about, but it's my own Uh, embarrassment or shame, or to use the phrase we use, fear of failure. Like if I say this, what will people think or do or say? Uh, If I take it even more down the road in a meeting or a team uh, context, and I suggest something kind of wild or I think is interesting, but it's kind of shot down or laughed at, uh, then it never sees the light of day. So Free to fail is the uh, posture or ability that we nurture in people to get more and more comfortable with muting or turning down, at least, shame mm-hmm. in, in, our, in ourselves. And that directly leads to innovation, creativity, trying new things. Mm-hmm. Wow. Shame is such a... a, a a powerful force that I think often goes unexamined in life. And, and 
and you bring up an aspect of what I really hadn't thought about. And I mean, not, not only just the destructive nature of it in so many other areas of our lives, but how it keeps us back from trying new things yeah. and, and That's kind great. of taking leaps of faith. Mm-hmm. I, I and love... it can be an internal voice, not necessarily external. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the other people in the room may not shame you, but in your head, the shame creates, I'm guessing is what you're partly suggesting. And yeah, I yeah. totally Absolutely. And it's a good question. Like I should start digging into that more with the people that we work with, but what percentage would people identify as, oh, that shame voice is from me. Mm-hmm. That shame voice is from someone outside of me that may or may not even exist, right? Which is mm-hmm. the interesting thing. It can be sort of a, a phantom or a ghost. And the again, kind of showing my cards more at the center, we love exposing those ghosts, you know, to show it's a powerful thing when a human being realizes there's nothing under the bed, mm-hmm. right? The, mm-hmm. the, it's, and I've been stuck, you know, and stuckness is almost always related at least somewhat to shame and fear of something that might happen that I'll conservatively say 80, 85% of the time, the thing you're afraid of happening doesn't happen for sure. And sometimes, oftentimes doesn't even exist. Mm, mm, Wow. And, and just to go a little step further, it's curiosity that reveals those things to us, right? Being curious about the things we're afraid of, is how you find out there's nothing under the bed and you can get up and go wherever you want. Curiosity um, kind of declaws the monsters. The That's right. I love that. I love that. Well, Dave, you had mentioned a little bit uh, the connection between play and games and it's on this podcast about uh, games. Uh, yeah. How, what would you see as that relationship between play and games? So uh, at the center, and again, people think about play in lots of different ways, and I've just found it helpful to sort of, again, show cards at the beginning to make the conversation more interesting. By, by play, uh, when I use it from here on out, I am, uh, I'm not talking so much about um, frivolity or uh, a waste of time or sort of a luxury that has nothing to do with with real life, quote unquote, real life. Uh, By play, uh, we mean curiosity-driven exploration of potential is the working definition that we have. So to say it another way, if a human being anywhere is curious about something and goes to find out about that thing, many, many, many more and wonderful and delightful things sort of erupt from that process. And uh, that process reveals lots of things that can improve the world and people and lead to flourishing for everybody involved. So anytime a human being is curious about something, goes to see about it, works with it, explores it, develops its hidden potential, we say they're playing. So... Uh, board games are to me just obvious, right? Like, how can I win this? How can I achieve this goal before me or this task before me, uh, either by myself or in this small community? So um, I'm curious about ways I can do that. What are the rules? Are the rules bendable? Uh, how do I stay within the boundaries? How do I 
mm-hmm. uh, traverse across them. Is that okay? You, you know, so many games play with that very idea, right? Like mm. there's loosely based role-playing games where here's who you are and then you figure out the rest. And then there's uh, very explicit rules to some other games. And then there's, isn't it funny, I'm sure you guys know this in this uh, field experts that you are, but families having their own version of rules, you know, like you sit down to play Uno with someone else and they allow like double colors of the same number, just you can throw them on anytime or you can stack reverses or uh, different communities, different families uh, have their own working rules of culture sort of when they when they play too. Mm-hmm. And you get to, you have to learn those as you go. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, so if I hear you right, that games are kind of these uh, focused, intentional um, opportunities to practice curiosity or, or to uh, kind of laboratories of curiosity in this very kind of concentrated, rarefied form that you can. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Kevin, any thoughts on on that as well and relationship between play and games or? or? I, I'm struck with the idea of, of dealing with obstacles because we've been exploring that as a basic idea of what a game is coming mm-hmm. out of Bernard Suits' The Grasshopper, which I don't know if you've had a chance to read that, Dave, but you know, he's talking about these obstacles and, and it's striking that life is full of obstacles and over, overcoming obstacles creatively in a weird way, life is kind of a game Hmm. in that how can I achieve this obstacle within these parameters, which might be being a moral person or, you know, right. Following certain rules. How can I uh, solve this problem? And, and having, having a curiosity is, is a vital way, a vital skill. I actually read a book on anxiety and I was reading it for a friend, not for me, but <laughs> this book called Unwinding Anxiety. And he talked at the end, the, uh, I think he was an MD, PhD, something like that. Uh, I have to double check on that. But he talked about the, the role of curiosity as a way of dealing mm-hmm. with stress. Mm-hmm. So if you're yep. feeling stress in your body, you might just say, do I feel on the left side or the right side of my body? And just that That's question right. will deflate you in a weird way because the curiosity turns that turns some of that off interesting i thought that's really anyway that's it becomes an object of our study versus uh uh, the master that's controlling us or something like that and it grounds you back in your body so the the takeaway i got from that book is being grounded in your body is because the mind can get on flights of fancy and so returning to the body is a way to Mm -hmm. focus on the here and now which is a classic religious practice no that's that's gold i uh I, that's dead on to my experience. Of, really? Uh, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent that anxiety is based on fear of what might happen. And cu- so running away from what you're afraid of and curiosity makes you stop and turn around and face the thing that you're afraid of. Mm-hmm. And if we're right about sort of theological assumptions about the world as you know, good creation and the world is this good place full of potential, the thing that you're afraid of doesn't want you to figure that out, right? And so it's a quick, quick turning of the tables, being curious after and about what you're afraid of actually makes 
well, as I said before, if there is even something there for real, which there usually isn't, but if there is, it's, it's their turn to be afraid in that sense. Mm. Mm-hmm. So do you play which, competitive type games in, in those workshops? Sorry, Daniel. No, it's fine. Uh, in the workshops, uh, yeah, we play, yeah, I think it's fair to say they're competitive and that there'll be, so it's, you know, off, a lot of times if it's a group, it's some form of professional development or learning that we're brought in to help with, mm-hmm. to nurture these skills in, in teams. And so uh, we will practice and exercise the divergent thinking muscle and the capacity to be okay with failing. Uh, we will do that in teams, you know, and it's like defining a really strange unknown word or putting a picture up and telling the backstory behind it. So they're not board games in that sense of bounded, but there are a couple of rules and who can come up with the most or the funniest. Um, but yeah, there's not a, we usually don't keep score until uh, or if ever, but again, score can make people more ashamed or anxious or competitive, especially at the beginning. You know, if we're coaching somebody and they're months and years in, uh, it often, the the shame voice or fear of failure kind of uh, ghost is not very strong. And so you're much more comfortable. Yeah, see who wins or let's compete this in this way without without it hindering your creative and curious capacities. Because shame, you know, fear of failure, like we know from students, uh, if there's pressure to get the right answer in school, it just kills learning, right? Because it kills curiosity and curiosity driven learning is, is the best way to learn. So it's like a microcosm of that. I hope our, our listeners um, are getting a sense, and I'm, I'm sure they are, are getting a sense of um, just what a, a, a passionate person you are, Dave, for the, the power of, of play and, and how transformative play can be. And that's um, just one of the reasons I was so excited about having you, um, getting to invite you and, and Kevin and I getting to, to welcome you to this show. I, I, I say I because you and I have known each other for, for a little while. And this is Kevin's first time for me and you. Um, but, um, I, I don't know off the top of my head, uh, anyone who's a, a more passionate evangelist for the power of play than, than you. And I'm, and it's, so it's just, it's just such a gift. Um, which brings us to our, our subject for today, our main subject for today. Um, um, can games save the world? And, um, um, and before we do, or as we do, I'd like us to, to transition a little bit just to, Kevin, I guess we're going to, can we call this our virtual mailbag moment? Can yes. We? Yes. Great. I feel like we need a theme song for um, BGF mailbag. Can you we do, have mail. You have mail. Do a voice. <laughs> <laughs> you have mail. Um <laughs> Oh boy! So here's here's our here's our mailbag. Uh, Dave, Dave looks like he's ready to leave the podcast. I'm sorry, Dave. For, um, what about 57 channels and nothing on? Your song. Your song. <laughs> good job. Good job. Thank you. Thank um, you. So for our mailbag, first we're going to look we're going to look back a little bit. Our previous episode um, 
was an episode on is game is life a game, which is an issue that uh, Kevin you alluded to just a moment ago. Mm-hmm. Is life some sort of grand game? And we had some great feedback from that uh, after the episode aired um, mm-hmm. from one of our awesome listeners, uh, Grenadier BG. So Grenadier BG, thanks so much for listening. And uh, Grenadier BG got on our Discord server and mm-hmm. and left some great comments. One of those comments was, you know, I really like the idea that that God has created life as a game, even though I'm not sure I agree, especially when combined with the view of life that nothing really matters with which I disagree wholeheartedly. Uh, Grenadier BG said, and Dave is a little, just kind of explanation. We, we had kind of gotten to a point in our conversation last time where we asked the question is the statement that nothing matters, good news or bad news or good news. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, and Kevin, I thought you had a good response an interesting response as well on Discord. Did you want to just share a little bit of your thoughts on on that? Uh, yeah, yeah. I hope I represented whatever you resonated with. But it's, I think it's a bit of a paradox that in a weird way, everything matters and nothing matters. There, there's a way to, to kind of move between the two of those because clearly things matter. God created them. Um, our actions have significance and meaning. But in a weird way, you know, the grass grass withers and the flower fades, and and getting worried about the details, like in some ways things don't matter. If if you are mm-hmm. dealing with the sense of forgiveness or grace, which all religions wrestle with in some way, I think, um, then then it doesn't matter if you've been forgiven. Yeah, yeah. In and uh, so I, I think there's a way to try to hold to both, but that's of course a paradox. It's logically impossible but i'd like to think that what do you think dave about which one is good news yeah Yeah. like is yeah this idea that nothing matters is it bad news or good news well i'd want to i guess if it's a deeper conversation i'd want to know what they mean by thing you know like nothing like life Mm -hmm. itself work relationships you know what do we mean but just as a gut reaction i would say it's infinitely better news that everything matters and it would be, it would be sad news to me that nothing matters. Um, again, just how I'm defining and thinking about nothing. But again, like you could probably guess from my my job title, uh, I think the the meaning of human life is play and exploration in God's good good world, and so that is uh, dripping with meaning and significance and challenge and. Uh, discovery and and all those things are real and matter. So, yeah, I guess I would just by default, without a deeper conversation, I would say hmm. I think it's better hmm. news that everything matters. Thank you. It, it sort of reminds me a little bit of um, of um, something else I know about Dave is that he and I are both really big U2 fans. I don't know if you're a U2 fan, Kevin, which is, which is either mm-hmm. way is fine, but, um, but you know, they have this great song, um, walk on, um, in which they say, I'm going to, I'm paraphrasing with that. Like love is the only thing you can't leave behind. Like everything else you can leave behind that, you know, mm-hmm. all your accomplishments, all of your hopes, all your fears, everything's, everything's going to pass one day. But the one thing that won't pass is, is love, right? It's, it's the one thing you can't leave behind. And, and I kind of reminds me a little bit of that quote, like kind of like you were saying with the, the, the grass withers, the flower fades, maybe there, mm-hmm. and maybe that one thing that doesn't pass is, is everything in a way too. 
Oh, mm-hmm. no. Yeah, yeah. And I'd want to yeah. know a lot more about whether the withering and the fading is forever or not. Like mm, if, the grass, if the grass withers and the flower fades, is it coming back next spring? Oh, yeah. And will yeah. it, and will it, it always like come part, back? Part of what we got into before, and you were referencing this that movie, Daniel, is being part of a process, sort of knowing that in some ways it doesn't matter because you're part of a larger process. Is that right? That there's a sense of... Yeah, yeah. That that like if we're part of this this massive universe, you know, that's billions mm-hmm. of light years across, in which God has provided everything abundantly that that for everything to exist. At the end of the day, you know, what I might do on that particular day, you know, the, the fate of the universe isn't going to hang on that, you know, and God God's right. abundance in creating the universe isn't going to hang on what what I do that particular day or not. And that's not to excuse us for doing bad things or things like that, you know, but just this this sense of um, kind of a crushing somberness, you know, to mm-hmm. to ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so I, so thanks. Kevin, you want to say something maybe? It looks like you were thinking about it. Well, I'm something. tempted. I, I don't want to um, stick on this too much because I know we have other exciting things to discuss, but I guess I'm remembering in the classroom occasionally I get students who will get hung up on a paper and I'll try to tell them, like, it's just a paper. Like, mm. it's just a class. So mm-hmm. it becomes almost an idol. Like, you know, they've got a, like, 15 years, you're going to have a mortgage, hopefully. Or, mm-hmm. you know, like, you're mm-hmm. not going to care about this. And you're not, this class, you're, it's not that important. Like, you should do your best, but also uh, walk on, as you're saying. And maybe that's what I'm a bit resonating with mm-hmm. the process mm-hmm. and things. You know, like, sometimes that's a comforting thing to, to, uh, to realize mm. yeah, in some ways yeah, yeah. this is important, but it doesn't really matter, mm-hmm. which is not to say now. that nothing matters, but some things really don't. Yeah. And nice part, it's, nice bit about a game is the, the idea you can restart. So mm-hmm. you enter the magic circle, you play the game and then like, Hey, let's play again or right, let's play something right. different. So right. I think that reboot is so key to human life. In the midst of the game, nothing matters more than the outcome of that game. But as soon as the game's over, yes. nothing matters less than the outcome of that game. <laughs> yes, besides putting you know, it up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I think, obviously, um, Grenadier BG, you you, uh, you brought up a really great point and right. and really great insights from Dave and from Kevin on this. Um, so thank you so much for for raising the question, and we're grateful for the feedback. So Grenadier BG. Um, also then had some thoughts on our topic for today. So I'm going to transition to that um, um, as a way to introduce our subject, uh, Can Games Save the World? Here's our transition music. Grenadier BG. Yeah. A double. Uh, yeah. A double, yeah. Provoca- d- double provocation. DP. <laughs> and we actually have two <laughs> listener feedbacks for this topic. But uh, the first is from Grenadier BG. Grenadier BG says, I certainly believe games can make the world a better place for the people who play them. There are a lot of valuable lessons that games can teach us, losing, sharing, cooperating, etc. They can also help us learn about and reflect on historical events, such as, the, such as games on the abolition of slavery or the deportation of uh, Jewish persons during World War II. Um, and then our second listener comment comes from Hannah Lynn. On, on, both of these are on a Discord. Hannah Lynn is from Eight Ways eight ways games. And she left some wonderful comments. Here's some of the things that she said. She says, I'm not sure if games can save the world, but they can certainly change it. And then she goes on to say, games teach us problem solving methods. Um, 
she's actually involved with a, a game publishing company called Eight Way Games. She says there they're doing their best to develop games that demonstrate the benefits of cooperation and collaborative creativity as solutions. Um, she says competitive games can teach us how to handle competition with dignity. But mm. if games are going to save the world, we're going to need more cooperative games. Um, mm. And then she says, as a, as a kind of, a, and she says on the side, like Tiny Robot Love Doctors, which is a game they're publishing. <laughs> um, a great uh, name of a, of a game. It is a great name. Uh, to teach more cooperative games, teach us all how to work together and respect each other's perspectives more. Mm-hmm. So those are a couple of, so thank you so much. I think Hannah Lynn um, from Eight Ways Games and Grenadier BG, uh, great, great insights to get us uh, thinking about this subject. Any reactions from either of you, Dave or Kevin, on our listener responses to this this question, can games save the world? Go ahead, Dave. I would there. agree. No, I like, the, uh, I like the, the virtues and the skills that they highlight that I think that's, uh, I'm easily convinced that playing games of almost any kind nurture and form those virtues that they mentioned in us. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Great comments. Kevin, any thoughts on, on from you too? No, I, I, I agree. I mean that we're, we're seeing these um, kind of virtues that come about through games. And, and I think Hannah had mentioned a preschool background. It's certainly crucial yeah. that kids play games and um, yeah. it seems like all mammals play games on some in some way, uh, part of our mm-hmm. development and psyche. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, and so then the question becomes, how far do we extend that? I guess the grasshopper continues to haunt me, which is is the best form of life playing games, which is just yeah. so radical. Um, yeah. Or, And I'm still wondering, because I love a good story, it's still hard for me to believe that in utopia or heaven there would be no storytelling. Mm, but that's mm. what he's arguing in The Grasshopper. Hmm. That there'd mm. be no Bruce Springsteen, I guess. Because there'd be no songs to sing, no Because no there's no pain. If there's no pain, you can't talk about Rosalita. Because mm. I, I don't know the song Rosalita. I assume it's bit that part of it is that she's not in his life anymore. Is that fair, Dave? There's, yeah, there's, uh, well, if answered a couple different ways, if there's no storytelling, and I haven't read that part of the grasshopper, if there's no storytelling or stories in heaven, then, then Springsteen won't be there because that's what he does. He's telling a story in Rosalita about two young people falling in love and trying to make a go of it. And those are one of his, some of his favorite stories, which has so much, uh, struggle and suffering and pain embedded in them. Uh, but, you know, very, very often, if not always, redemption, you know, redemption at the end, happily ever after. I love your reflections on the role of memory, Dave. Thank you. That's something I had considered before. It, it, it reminds me of some conversations Kevin and I have had in previous episodes about the connection between, you know, suffering and joy and uh, grief and love and whether you really can have one without the other, you know, or whether they're just two sides of the same reality. And I can see that with memory too, you know, it is, um, can you have, can you have a redeemed life without the memory of what the life was before? Mm. Yeah. Right. That's a good question. That's a great question. 
that is uh, at best, uh, it's not, it's a, it's a qualitative choice that I don't want. I wouldn't prefer, I wouldn't choose that. But then like more basically or fundamentally, I don't think it's possible. It's just not possible yeah. to have paradise or goodness or life without that aspect, without memory and reflection and challenge. And uh, again, like uh, challenge without suffering, right? Like uh, a puzzle without pain. Like, of course, it has to be, we know that's possible. And I think it's just, uh, if we can imagine a good place like that, then I'm pretty sure the creator can too in his is working that out or sort of like games, the, uh, um, uh, unnecessary exactly. obstacles, right? That, I mean, the, yep. the unnecessary obstacles of games are not ultimately painful or, you know, they're, they're, they're these things that we choose to take upon ourselves for the joy of, of, uh, that experience, you know? And yeah. Right. Like, well, there'll be no, otherwise we're saying there's no pretending in the new heavens and new earth. Yeah. That just, that can't be. Yeah. Well, Dave, I wanted to ask, um, the, one of the reasons I thought of you for, for this, this topic, this episode was on, on one of the podcasts and I, I, I have heard you on another podcast. Um, and you said something on there that really has stuck with me, which is, I, I forget exactly how it went, but the interviewer said something like, well, Dave, you know, what do you say when people come to you and they say, uh, oh, come on, Dave, how can you, how can you believe in, in the power of play in when there's so much suffering in the world, when there's so much heartache in the world and, and, and hunger and racism and injustice and, you know, and how, how can you say that play is the answer? And then, and your response was, and I, you know, and, and as I think we've been talking here, you know, I think playing games are intimately connected here. So I think the same could be said for, for games as well. Your response was, you know, I'm just going to double down on the power of play here. And, and, and just, you know, you didn't back off from play. You didn't apologize for it. Would you mind just kind of sharing a little bit of your thoughts and reflections on that? What, what do you, how do you, how do you double down on the power of play in the face of, of objections like that? Right. And don't put words yeah, in your mouth. No. If you'd still say that, maybe no, you wouldn't say that anymore, but yeah. No. no, I've actually changed. I don't believe it at all anymore. So we're <laughs> shutting the center down tomorrow. Um, I think behind that question, and it's such a good, fair, uh, appropriate question. And, you know, the, the board and I went round and round on that. Uh, it, was a, it was a crisis sort of at the beginning of, is this even appropriate, you know, to be talking about? And um, is this frivolous? Is this a luxury? Is this a privileged thing that we get to do while the rest of the world burns and starves? You know, it's, it's a great question. And I think behind it, part of what's behind it is an assumption about play that I'm not making, right? That play is a, just that, a luxurious, privileged, uh, extra uh, luxury that if you don't have to worry about survival, you get to do that. You know, that, um, that it has nothing to do basically with real life, you know, and, and I would call that fun. I would call a person that does that sort of a funster to mm. use a guy that was instrumental to me. Uh, Robert Neal wrote a book called In Praise of Play. And yeah, there it is. Daniel and I have talked about that. 
um, the difference between play and fun. I think the person asking the question is thinking about fun and a funster, and I'm thinking about play. And Neil Neil calls them players, and that word has changed culturally over time. So we've got to be careful when we advocate ourselves being players. But the player, man. Uh, the player, yeah. That I, I think behind the question, the assumption is that play is sort of living for the weekend. It's drugging mm-hmm. yourself to be happy. It's the worst uh, stereotypes of fraternities and sororities. You know, of, I just need to get through real life so that I can forget everything at the end of the day. I need to disengage. And that's the exact opposite of what I've come to know uh, play and exploration to be. It's full engagement with the world. It's looking dead on into the eyes of hard things and sad things and scary things. Hmm. And the only reason that's possible is because of a conviction. And it's more than a hope. It's a conviction that through the suffering, behind the suffering, underneath the pain is goodness. And I get that from the Christian story and a lot of other religion stories, that this world is a good place made by a good God, and it's actually indestructibly good. And so therefore, when I see something broken or fallen or even just slightly distracting, I can engage with it fully. I can be curious about it, like we were saying before. And I can use this capacity that God, the creator, has given us all that is called divergent thinking that we focus so much on at the center to think creatively or differently about big, hairy adult problems like war and racism and poverty. So when I said I I doubled down by that, I mean not only is play uh, not unhelpful, It's the single greatest tool and weapon that we have against fallenness and against evil. Mm. And it's it's, uh, the image that's so delightful to me is storming the gates of hell with a water pistol. Mm. And and hell is terrified, right? Like, oh, no, they figured it out. You know, C.S. Lewis and Chesterton and McDonald, Dorothy Sayers, all these people uh, wrote about this often. That, you know, um, evil's number one fear is that we will figure out that there's no such thing as a purely evil thing. It's all God's good stuff that's just been broken in different ways. And God is not going to throw any of it away. God is going to redeem it and restore it again and fix it, even evil itself. And so... Another way to say this, hopefully to more clearly answer the question of the day, like about saving the world, you know, I'm not sure that uh, Monopoly or Uno can save the world, but the, the I'm banking the on ways, Uno. <laughs> maybe the the things that they do to us, the way that the way that games form us and nurture us and who they make us to be by playing them those skills will unquestionably change the world. Curiosity, divergent thinking, collaboration, freedom to fail. You know, that. Uh, to say it even yet another way, poverty, war, famine, racism, abuse uh, are the definition of 
fear-driven stuckness, paralysis, right? It is uh, anxiety and fear, and it's not moving. We've been trying for centuries to solve these problems. And uh, I believe and believe strongly that adults approaching adult problems like that as children would, being curious about them, being kind and faithful and divergent and free to risk and try in front of each other, that that will that will crack the nut. That will it's it's a matter of time, actually. So good. So good. Wow. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. yeah there's a theological and ethical imagination rooted in in uh in play. So it reminds me from like Hauerwas and others are coming from a certain point of view who are some Christian theologian ethicists, but but he he strikes into that of of talking about the imagination of for, for him pacifism like you have mm. to mm. engage and imagine it to make it real and in a sense that's sort of like play like play creates different mm-hmm. realities possibilities yeah, that's right yeah uh, the grasshopper author uh, was I don't know if he's read. Moltmann, but Moltmann, Jürgen Moltmann is a hero of ours at the center who wrote a book called The Theology of Play. And he he uses this uh, Old Testament image of people in exile uh, being asked by their captors to play and sing, play and sing songs from your culture that we annihilated and captured you from. And they're kind of mocking them with it. And then the people in exile start to realize, according to Moltmann, and I agree, that by singing and playing and remembering and imagining like they used to, they're actually anticipating redemption. They're reminding themselves of this is who we used to be. And if that's a true enough thing about who we used to be, it's indestructible and it's, it is who we will be again. Mm. And so I, I, I think that's a wonderful way to say, yes, games can change the world by simultaneously reminding us of how things are supposed to be. And then as they do that, it gives us new ideas and hope and things to try to solve current problems to make the kingdom of God all as it should be a little closer to being here. Dave, you're, 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 oh, that's so good. You're, um, thank you. Your, your quote there from Moltmann about, uh, you know, the, uh, the captors telling, um, mm. uh, telling the, uh, uh, the Israelites, you know, sing us your songs and realizing that these things, it reminds me, it, um, I, I came across a quote this past week that I wanted to share in this episode, but it just, it, it's almost like, very much in, in the same lines with what you just said. Um, this is, um, it's, a, it's a quote from uh, Imani Perry. And actually, I think, Dave, you and I might have talked about Imani Perry about a year ago or so. But mm-hmm. Imani Perry, mm-hmm. um, a professor, uh, an author. Um, and I came across this article she wrote in June 2020 for The Atlantic called uh, Racism is Terrible, Blackness is Not. Racism is Terrible, Blackness mm-hmm. is Not. Uh, the Atlantic, June 2020. And, um, and, and she says, she has, says a couple things here. She says, the capacity to access joy is a testament to the grace of living as a protest. But then she goes on to say this, which I think just is parallels so much what you said about that, the biblical passage. She's talking about, um, um, pre-Civil War in the United States and the South. 
um, and, um, and persons who were enslaved. Um, and, and this is what she says. She says, the masters were wrong in the antebellum South when they described the body-shaking, delighted chuckle of an enslaved person as simple-mindedness. No, she says, that laugh, like our music, like our language, like our movement, we might add, like our play, was a testimony that refused the terms of our degradation. Hmm. And... Um, Anyway, I just, I see that, I just, I love that quote, but I see that so much in the parallel, in, in what you said from that, that, the passage about the songs of Israel reminding them that they were something so much deeper and more beautiful and grander than what their yeah. captors were telling them. Mm, um, love it. The other thing that, that, um, and Kevin, I'm sorry, I know I'm talking a lot here. Um, I want to hear your thoughts too, Kevin. Um, the other thing that your opening remarks reminded me of about how play is not, is not a luxury, I think is something that I, I feel like Kevin and I have talked about in past episodes and Kevin, feel free to disagree, but you know, the sense that of course, you know, of course, a $150 game on Kickstarter with all the blinged out accoutrement, accoutrements, the miniatures, the painted miniatures, all of that. <laughs> of course, that's a luxury. Any game that we can buy, any specific game we can buy, of course, is a luxury. But games themselves, the idea of games, I, I think I would argue, and I'm interested in your thoughts too, Kevin, is, is not a luxury. Like games themselves are a fundamental part of being human because they, they are what allow us to, to play they're the kind of the vehicle for play. I don't know, Kevin, any, any, I've been talking a lot, Kevin, I'm sorry, please enlighten us with your, with your wisdom. <laughs> Daniel has now gone into guilt mode. <laughs> <laughs> little button, like, uh, uh the shame, uh, what's this, the shame, the shame, who's the, the, shame the, the toy story, uh, what's his name, <laughs> the space guy, and don't they switch him into Spanish mode? Oh, oh yeah, but Buzz yeah. Lightyear. Yeah, Buzz Lightyear. So yeah, Daniel's got the guilt. Activate shame mode. <laughs> Activate shame. No, I actually, I, I'm with you all. Like I, uh, it. One thing I've been thinking about is sort of the image of God that comes out of uh, Judaism and Christianity that we're creating the image of God, and maybe part of that is this ability to play. But I don't know if you can substantiate. I don't know if Moltmann tries to substantiate that. That there's really not a basis for God playing. Although you could say creation itself, right? Because it's sort of this thing that God creates something that God allows to not be under God's complete control. And in a way, I mean, I guess it depends on how you define control, but allows a certain type of freedom, a human, a creaturely freedom so you could think in a weird way of the whole creation as a game, but I don't think there's a biblical basis for that. I don't know. What do you think, Dave? I think you got thoughts on this. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I uh, absolutely agree that God plays, and I, see the, I do see the entire creative act and creation story and the ongoing act of creation, because I don't think creation sure. is done yet, even from God's point of view as we know now unequivocally from the Webb telescope, you know, of what's those images that have been showing us that 
the creation is actually bigger right now than when we started this episode. And I think that's delightful. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And that creation is not finished. It's ongoing. And, and just to talk and to speak boldly, hopefully with a childlike boldness, uh, but that God, God can't help God's self. It is, it is inherent to God's nature uh, as a completely good and loving being to create. And the creative act is an act of play and possibility. And it is, I think, one of the most wonderful things I've ever heard said and that I keep trying to say to myself and anyone that will listen is that uh, the creation is not necessary either. And, you know, like thinking about God being okay by God's self or in the family of the Trinity, you know, from the Christian perspective. So why are we all here? And uh, apparently God prefers this and loves this and wants more of this and then uh, embarrasses even more by sharing that power and capacity with us, that human beings can also create and make things and, and play with possibilities and Again, you're kind of um, uh, wonderfully distracting me here. This is sort of my favorite part of what the center does, so you guys can redirect as needed. But the, the fact that most of the goodness in creation is, is hidden from us, it's in potential form, right? So a cell phone and popcorn and glass and uh, construction, uh, God did not make those things. God made the potential for those things and then commanded human beings to go explore. What can you do with this? What, can, what else can you find? What can you make of this? And I mean, you talk about a seismic shift in understanding of God and the meaning of life and what it means to be human. It has absolutely wrecked me in the most wonderful ways. And uh, I had little bits of that along the way, but the center and the people involved with it have been what have sort of uh, tied that knot for me. Because that God's, God's creative play and uh, creative and redemptive power is what makes, I would argue, human play and exploration and creative power possible. And it blesses it, and it encourages it, and even commands it, I think, in, in the Christian scriptures. Wow. That's awesome. I, I, yeah, I would love to keep talking about this. I, I think, Kevin, we might be approaching the, our time limit, are we? It's a, that's a good way to end things, but yeah. I, we do want yeah. Dave to tell us how people can contact him and learn more about his work with the center. Well, thank you. Yeah, the Center for Play and Exploration's website is playandexploration.com. Just everything typed out, playandexploration.com. There's a contact page on there that gets a hold of me, and that's the easiest, quickest way. If people want to do some more of this work or talk more about this, I'd, I'd love that. We're so happy that you you joined us, Dave. And I, I do, yeah, if people are, find this at all interesting, I do encourage you, we encourage you to check out um, 
Dave and his website, and it's it's really mm-hmm. just fascinating, wonderful stuff, to, and uh, hopeful uh, to, to know that such work is happening in 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 the world. Um, Dave, yeah, thank you so much uh, for for being with us. We want to say thanks as well to uh, again to our our listeners, um, those who provided feedback, um, um, Grenadier BG and Hannah Lynn. And, and our listeners um, who are listening right now, um, thank you so much for, for tuning in. This couldn't happen without you, and it is such a joy and a gift for all of us to get to spend time um, with you and being a part of your day. Thank you for, for listening. Kevin, thank you for, for being amazing. <laughs> thank, thank you, Daniel, for the opportunity to be more humble than you. You are, you are so much more humble than I am. No, that's that's. Uh... Uh, no, it's it's great. Um, and Kevin, yeah. So, um, Kevin, any words about closing words from you on on how folks next can week find out yes. next two weeks? When we say next week, we always mean biweekly. In right, two weeks, right. two weeks, we will discuss spiritual lessons. From push your luck games, which are games where you're taking a bit of a risk, right? Do you double down and uh, go for a better result, but lose it all? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in so those the box? types of games, right? So we'll see if there's things we learn about ourselves and others from that type of game. So we're excited about that, and please check us out on Discord link below. And uh, we Instagram is pretty lively, Board Game Faith. And we invite your interactions and your thoughts and comments. Yeah, we love hearing from you. Excellent. All right, well, Dave, thank you so much for your time. Thank you both, guys. Keep up the good work. It's an honor to be with you guys today. Thank you, Dave. Our, Bye, our, Daniel. Our honor You're the best. You. Right. <laughs> you all are great. Thank you all so much. See you next time. Bye. Bye-bye.